The following is a presentation of the Eagles Sports Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome into our newest venture here on the Eagles Sports Network. It's our podcast, what we call Mossy Creek Podcast. I'm your host for episode one, Michael Watring. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Carson Newman's the Eagle Sports Network, as well as your favorite podcast channel, be it Apple, Google, anything. We will have this for you there. We have a great group of guests lined up over the next couple months, and we hope that you enjoy all of our conversations here on the Eagle Sports Network. Our first guest here on this, no pressure for him, is our 19th (laughs) football coach in Carson Newman history. He's been here for almost two decades as both a player and a coach. He is Mike Clowney. Coach, appreciate you taking some time with us. Uh, what's the last few months been like for you since you got the job? It's been very flexible, forever changing, different, um, but we still found a way to have a lot of fun with our guys. So you accepted the job and was officially announced with the job on January 8th, 2020. So that feels like it was a couple decades ago, but it was only <laughs> seven or eight months ago. Uh, what was in your mind when spring sports shut down and how were you trying to adapt your progression because spring practice got canceled how did you try to adapt during that time yeah i think the biggest thing for us was we were we got one day of spring practice in and then all of a sudden you start hearing about this virus and you know we've heard all of that before and it never wind up becoming a very big deal with us here in the United States. So, you know, really just didn't think much about it at all. And so once we got called into a meeting and it looked like school was going to be out, I mean, it was just really like, is this really happening? I think was kind of the more the mode of anything. And then we get home and like we really aren't in school. And like you just so we our, our mentality was let's go try to find a way to get as much done as we can because we were behind on some stuff. So we felt like we could use that time and really kind of get caught up and put some things in place that we wanted to get in place. So we really went hard at work to just try to get some organizational things together, you know, thinking that we'd just be gone for a week or two. But now it's been months. So with it being months and with you going through the summer, when was the first time this summer that you got any inclination that this season's uh, this season was in jeopardy? I think the day that we got sent home in the spring, I really felt like it was a possibility. You know, and you would hope that, you know, we'd be able to kind of get it under control and, and be able to play. But as summer went along, it was more and more unlikely that we were going to get any guys here in the summer. And we were able to bring a couple guys in late. And it's like it got to the point where every time you were able to do something, you were just really excited about being able to go to the next step until we got to that final step to where we knew that we, we wouldn't play. And I think coaches and players, I think, you know, as much as we want to play, things were changing and moving around so much, you, we really kind of want to know exactly what's going on. You kind of get to that point. And once we knew that it was going to be canceled, I think we were all knew that it was a possibility, but it's still kind of disappointing at the same time. So as we stand right now, we're recording this uh, a couple of days before we'll officially release it. But you should probably be getting ready for your final scrimmage of the fall and getting ready for the first game of the season, which was September 3rd, 2020, against West Georgia. The season was delayed on July 24th to September 26th. So that West Georgia game you knew for a little while was not in the offing and that it was going to be a conference-only season. Well, now that you fast forward to this time period, what kind of things are you trying to do as a coach to not only handle your coaching staff, 
but to get the players on board with where you're at in hopes that there may be a season at some point in the near future? You know, for us with football, and especially at this level, there's always something to do. And just like, you know, when we left that first week, um, when we got canceled, we wanted to kind of figure out organizationally what we want to do with football, with practice and recruiting. You know, the thing that presented a unique problem when we left in the spring where all of our classes went online. And we found that 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 was something that was extremely difficult for our guys. So what we've done the last week or so is we've tried to work to put together a plan of, like, what can we do to kind of help our guys academically through this transition process? Because even though they're in class, we've got hybrid schedules and we've got a bunch of different things going on that guys – it's just different. So for us, we want to try to put a structure together and provide them a plan and an avenue to help them, you know, be successful to where whenever we play football – that they'll still be here and they'll still be ready to go. So as it stands, uh, the goal is to play in the spring, but there seems to be an NFL season on tap. The hope is that there will be at least a few conferences that play college football. What are your Saturdays, what are your weekends going to be like this fall without you getting prepared for a game or playing a game yourself? You know, I think it's something that we're still <laughs> working to try to figure out. We talked about that this morning. Like, you know, we actually a little bit amazed. Like, there's a high school football game, you know, in Knoxville last night. So there are people that are still playing. That's so why I was like, you know, somewhere we're going to all look real, real smart or real stupid, <laughs> you know, on either side of it right. because either we're putting it off and waiting and we could have won or we get to the point where, we, you know, we're pushing it and trying to play and we probably should have waited. And no one knows what that looks like right now, you know, and so we've taken people different people taking different avenues and I really don't know what Saturday's going to look like. I talked to a couple of friends like, hey man, I may have to be able to come watch you guys play on Saturday. Um, so we're, we're looking forward to if there is some football to being able to kind of be engaged and watch and see what some other people are doing. Um, it could give us a chance to continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to develop You know, our ourselves as staff, ourselves as players. Um, so there's some opportunities out there. We just had to figure out like what gives us the best situation to move forward here. So let's dial it back because football has been a part of your life for as long as you can remember. And for a lot of us, we took Saturdays for granted that there would be football and Sundays for granted that there would be football. You talked about what it was like committing to Carson Newman and coming here, meeting Coach Sparks, having that opportunity on, I think, maybe the first or second night of your time here where you study the Bible. And that was the first time you really had that opportunity to learn about that. Where else were you considering going? And at the end of the day, what was your first opinion of Carson Newman before you even stepped foot on campus? It's funny, like a lot of the people I talked to, I I visited Wingate and um, and got a lot of stuff from Lenore Ryan, but never took a trip there. Um, Went to Gardner Way Up and visited Gardner Way Up. But the thing that was unique, there was a guy, um, Charleston Southern, that's in South Carolina where I'm from was recruiting me. But the thing that was really unique was like out of all the places I talked to, you know, the guy at Charleston Southern was a Carson Newman alumni. Um, Gardner Webb, all they talked about was Carson Newman. And Chuck King was recruiting me here at Carson Newman. And I'm trying to, oh, Doug Malone was at Wingate. And Doug Malone was a Carson Newman alumni that was treating, was recruiting me at Wingate. So it wound up being the thing that everything kind of had in common was like all whatever was all lines was kind of pointing to Carson Newman. So I remember talking to Doug. It was like, hey, what, why did you go to Carson Newman? Like, what were the things that, you know, and he was, Doug was a really good guy. I enjoyed it, you know, spending time and talking with him during the recruiting process. But when it goes back, when he went back, you know, like a lot of that was kind of what he had grown and developed here at Carson Newman. 
And so it, it, once I got to campus um, and what everything that happened here, I kind of saw that the, the university was different. Like Carson was different. And I went on one other visit. I went to Gardner-Webb. And when we got to Gardner-Webb, my best friend and I we were on visits together. We were there 30 minutes. And he says, you're going to Carson Newman, aren't you? I was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was just immediate that, that, that this was the right place for me. This is where the Lord was leading me. It turned out to be a phenomenal career. You're a Kirsten Newman Hall of Famer. You're a South Atlantic Conference Hall of Famer. You hold several records in Kirsten Newman history for what you were able to do. Uh, you're one of nine consensus All-Americans in the history of Kirsten Newman. Uh, you were part of the team that Kirsten Newman got to a D2 national championship for the first time in program history after making that transition. Um, you had 23 tackles against Wingate. That's still a program record. What do you remember about that game? I remember not playing against Wingate the year before because I was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I was, I was just grateful to be able to play in the game. So, I mean, it was a situation to where I hurt my ankle the year before, and I was kind of on the verge of breaking the tackle record, you know, as a junior. And it didn't happen because I missed several games. And, you know, Anthony wound up breaking the record that year. But just when we got to the Wingate game, I mean, like, just that mentality of I didn't get to play in this game this year, and it's going to be an honor and privilege that the Lord gave me an opportunity to play in that game the next year. Like, that was really all I was focused on was, you know, I was just grateful to be able to play in that football game. And when it was over with, uh, one of our players was like, man, you might have broke a record or something today. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think anything about it. And then when we come back that Monday, then I realized, that you know it was a record and it was I, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't a goal of mine from like the first day I walked on campus you know when I walked on campus I went and figured out who had every record like who was on the wall and like you know when you're 18 and 19 like the thing that you can try to be one of the best is really kind of stupid but I don't think there's any other way to try to do things mm -hmm. and so um it, it, it was it was a great accomplishment for me just because it was a goal of mine that was pretty lofty um, and I was able to accomplish it. Talk about lofty goals. Well, let's put on your coaching hat for a second. What is the scouting report on Mike Clowney, the player? I don't know. It's funny. I, I ask guys that have played against us because we always looked at scouting reports and you know different guys. So I was always like, hey, man, what does your scouting report say about me? And it was funny. One guy was like, oh, dude, they had you all over the board. And I was like, <laughs> I just thought that was funny because, like, um, you know, I think you try to see yourself as just you every single day and, and, and try to be the guy that God created you so you don't really think of anybody or anything thinking you, of you above that. And so, you know, my scouting report would be like a little skinny guy that plays hard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just a little skinny guy that plays hard. Yeah, I mean, I played linebacker here. I was never more than 190, wow. you know, so. Uh, I mean, that's impressive for one night. You almost had as many tackles as you weighed. I think you had 150-something <laughs> tackles that, that last year that you were here. Uh, 315 for your career. That's seventh all-time. Let's talk about uh, that last season, the national championship game. Are you able to remember to think about that game, talk about that game? Is that still something that enters your mind or do you try to delete that game and delete what happened and remember the season as a whole? I mean for the most part you remember the season as a whole mm -hmm. because I think the biggest thing that stuck out and I always talk about this is like our theme that year I still remember was Mission Possible. Mm -hmm. You know we had lost like 20 something seniors the year before so nobody really thought that we would be that good. Mm -hmm. 
but as a, it was my senior year, so it was all I had. So we were, I just remember us getting together during that season and talking about, you know, what we wanted the season to look like. And we didn't necessarily talk in terms of wins and losses as much as we wanted to, you know, all go out, play hard, enjoy one another. And one story I always tell is like the first, first game, I think I only had like two tackles. And I was miserable because I thought I had to make every play, and I left the game and I only made two tackles the entire game. But I looked around and watched what was happening with my teammates. And they all were ecstatic. They all had fun. We played hard. We, we beat a pretty good football team that was coming in here to prove a point. And so that game probably sticks out more than anyone because I realized, like, you know, it's not about me, and I don't have to carry the weight. Like, we've got a ton of guys here that's capable, and we're going to all carry the weight together. And so I tell everybody, you know, we played every week, and eventually we wound up in a national championship game. And I actually got hurt and missed several games that year. And just, you know, watching my teammates come in and play and just kind of what we will be able to kind of do as a unit, as a whole, um, I thought was really special. And that game was that game was tough. I mean, we had several chances to win it. You know, we turned the ball over a good little bit, and we, made, we, we just made a lot of mistakes that we uncharacteristically didn't make that year. What do you remember about uh, the coaching staff from that season? Because I don't know when you first started thinking about becoming a coach, but obviously that group with Coach Sparks leading the way had a big, big impact on you, not just as a player, but as a person. So what do you remember about that coaching staff? I think the thing that was most fun about that staff was watching our coaches actually be able to coach. Because the thing that happened was we policed the team. The team took care of the team, so every day when we came to practice, the coaches actually had a chance to coach. And I kind of had an inclination that I would eventually be a coach one day. <laughs> I, I didn't know what my grandma called it when I was in high school. Um, I would go over every Sunday, and just kind of the coaches would bring me in and watch video, and my mom would get irritated about it, and my grandma was like, well, you leave him alone. He may be a coach one day. So, um, And I just had a lot of respect for our coaches because they cared about us as people. And I think that made us want to be engaged and more involved in what we were doing here entire program-wise. So once you end your career, you do decide to go into coaching. Uh, was that the first choice, or was there another choice of, uh, of a different career path? It, it, that, I talked about this yesterday a little bit. Um, the end of my senior year, we went and I played an all-star game. It was a snowball. And that was a unique experience because, you know, most guys, you have a – pretty good career. I feel like the NFL is somewhere kind of out there. And it was always a dream of mine. But somewhere along the way, I got to the point I realized that that wasn't everything. And so I remember sitting and talking to a, a scout from the Atlanta Falcons and just kind of going through conversation. And, and in that conversation with him, is it hit me like, I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can do it, it'd be great. Um, and I just remember I had already went in education because I figured if I did anything, it was going to be coach. And if I was going to coach, then I was going to have to be a good teacher. So I started going in education. But then talking to him, I just realized that I don't have to play this game forever. It would be cool. I like it. But if it didn't happen, then I was fine with that. And I went to the All-Star game, played with those guys. Everybody's talking about going to the league. And I remember just totally blowing my lid at an All-Star game. <laughs> and Richard Howard, we were there together. And Richard was like, man, you realize it's an All-Star game. But for me, it was always about competing at your highest and best level. And the Lord ultimately in control, so if the NFL was going to be part of that, and I played well, then the NFL would find me. But if I gave it all I had and that didn't happen, then I was fine with that. So um, leaving that game, you know, I did not have a clue what I was going to do. And this is how lost I was. <laughs> 
I had the All-Star game. I left everything I had in the dorm because I was graduating in December, like the next year. And so I didn't know what I was doing. I left everything in the dorm. And I was like, well, I had to figure it out. <laughs> and so um, I talked to Coach Sparks and Coach Mitchell. And it was like, you know, I think I like the GA. And I was like, everybody else, I want to leave here, go do it at a D1 school and, and go be big time. And then Coach Parks, I was like, man, I don't know if he's going to help me. And then so he was, you know, I sit around forever. And then eventually he's like, you know, I think we can, we can keep you here and you can kind of help us coach. So I went straight from playing to kind of helping coach and then eventually took a full GA spot. But I left here in December not knowing what was – I was like, well, if, they, if, I, if it doesn't work out, then I have to come move my stuff out of the dorm and go home, just knowing I really didn't want to go back home because – I just thought that Lord had something else out there, and I was just trying to figure out what it was. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you bring up the fact that that you were hoping to go to a Division One. Well, I think that that happens with a lot of players, and that happens with coaches, and you know, even coaches that are established at the Division Two level, they think, "Hey, maybe it's an opportunity for me to take that next step, and the grass might be greener on the other side." For People that may be thinking, well, if I don't get a D1 offer, uh, it's D1 or bust, recruits that you have. What's your message to them about being able to play at the D2 level? And what's your message to fellow coaches that the D2 level is a good place to start? You know, my message is always this. Football is football. You know, we play on the same size field. We play the same rules. We play with the same intensity and aggression. So the game doesn't change at all. You know, now the thing that changes, there are a lot more people are impressed when you put, you know, <laughs> when, you, when the stadiums are a lot bigger and there are a lot more people impressed. And actually, there are a lot more people to disappoint, too. So I think that's one thing that's unique at this level is for us, it gets to be about our kids. It gets to be about the program. It gets to be about actually enjoying the game. I saw something on Twitter to where um, some Division One guys talking about whether they would get a check or not. And then I saw a D2 guy say, hey, man, we, I took out loans to do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a different mentality, you know, when you do it because you love it as opposed to just doing it because to see what you can get out of it. And not saying that Division One is bad, but I just think that this is a good product as well. Division two, I've been here for seven, eight years now, and, and watching it has been a lot of fun because when you tell somebody that you work at a D2 school that you've just met, a lot of times they're like, ah, you know, that's, that's like high school football. You know, it's like that. there's nothing exciting about that. And then you watch it and you look out there and you think about all the talented players that you get to see on a year in, year out basis that play at a very high level. And sure, the majority of them will never play in the NFL, will never be in an NFL camp. But a lot of these guys do go to the CFL, Arena League, various other leagues to play at that high level. And I think that I was watching uh, Last Chance U the other night, and a lot of their receivers and other players were like D1 or bust. And they actually brought in some D2 coaches from the West Coast, and they were like, hey, we're D2. And you could just see the players were just like, ah, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. But – they're paying for a full scholarship for me. The town is actually pretty nice. The facilities are actually pretty nice. That was the first thing that I noticed about coming here, how nice the facilities were, comparatively speaking, to some of the other places that I had been. And I'm sure for you, having spent almost two decades of your life at a Division II program, you understand, like you mentioned, the love of the game, the love of the job. And at the end of the day, it is about making sure that these young men are prepared to make that move forward in whatever the next step of their life is. It's funny that you bring that up. I, 
when I talked to Coach Parks, he wanted me to commit like the, the day I come on my visit. And that's why I told him, I said, Coach, I've never been to a campus like this. I've never been to a small campus. I mean, I went to Clemson to watch games. I've been to Carolina to watch games. But everything was D1 because, you know, that's what was on TV. And that's, sometimes that's all you know. And the first small college football game I ever saw, I played in. And so, and uh, I remember when the game was over, my mom was like, you know, your parents always love you and they think you're the best ones. My mom was like, you should have been out there. You should have been playing. I was like, uh, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> like, some of these guys are really good. Yeah. And so um, that's something that will always stick out because, like, you know, my first experience with small college football, I was in the middle of a game. I think it's impressive everything that, that you see at this level. And then for you, you take that GA position, you're, you're here for a little bit, and then you go to Greenwood, South Carolina High School, and you become a defensive coordinator. You win two state championships while you're there. So you get great experience by being within that program. Uh, how did that opportunity open up, and what did you learn? I went back to play for my high school coach. Um, it was That was unique as well. Like, um I GA'd here, my time was up, and I had to figure out what I was going to do. I talked to Coach Parks, and he's like, we're going to find a way to keep you around. Well, I sat around and waited and waited and waited, and Coach never did really say anything. So I was like, oh, I've got to find a job. So I panicked a little bit. And uh, my high school coach had been kind of recruiting me to come down and coach with them. And I hung out and met him and his staff and had a really good time with his staff. Um, great football staff we had down there at Greenwood. And – I decided to go coach high school football. The next day, Coach Sparks came to me and said, I think I got a job for you. And I sat right behind the soccer field and cried like a baby. <laughs> and that's why I told him, I said, like, Coach, I took a job last night. You know, I still cry about it. I took a job last night. Um, and, but God was in that, you know, and he never stopped, you know, calling me about, you know, finding a way for me to get back here um, the whole time I was down there. But that was, that was a good move for me to be away from here, to do something different, to see something different, experience something different. Um, I think it helped me appreciate this situation when I come back the next time. What was it like winning two state championships as a coach at your alma mater? Yeah, I was, it actually wasn't my alma mater because I played at Union. But he, he had left and went there. But it was, it, it was really cool. And so we, we won a state championship together when I played at Union. And so I knew I was getting into a good situation. He went there, and Greenwood wasn't very good. The year before, they had won, played in the semifinal game. And so and they had really good play. We had really good players at Greenwood. Um, some of the guys I got a chance to coach, I mean, we had two linebackers. They were All-American. One of them was, like, the number two recruit in the country. So to kind of see that other side of it going in and being a high school coach and having the college coaches come in, and you learn, you know, the, the recruiters, like which one you like, which ones you didn't like, you know, how did the recruiters treat the kids, which ones that the, which one of the recruiters that came in the kids actually were drawn to. And it was weird. I, I saw our kids a lot of time draw to, like, the more unique guys. The guys there were kind of up front and honest. They could kind of tell the guys that were kind of, like, got a little bit more jive to them. And I was a guidance counselor, so I was, you know, involved with the grading aspects. I mean, there were points in times to where you can go see the guidance counselor, so I had a full office, like, a lot of days. <laughs> and so um, – you know, that that was a fun, unique experience to just kind of see the recruiting from, from a different side, you know, how the players interact with, you know, high school coaches versus recruiting coaches. Um, building relationships with players, I think that was probably one of the most important things there was, you know, I always felt my relationships with my coaches were unique, and as a coach I wanted to be able to provide that. And so to be able to go to Greenwood and, and do that was a lot of fun.
you spend a few years there and then the opportunity comes back for you to come back here. You had mentioned that Coach Sparks had, uh, you know, constantly been calling you up to that. What led to the return to Mossy Creek for what would become the second of three times? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was time. I mean, we, I had been there and we, we'd had a good run at Greenwood. It was tough for me to leave because there are really good people in town there. You'll see because I actually went back to take another job there later <laughs> on. But, um, but it, it was time, just kind of what we talked about on the recruiting process and talking to coaches and dealing with coaches that we're in. Um, we had a couple guys that were out playing college football, and a lot of the big school coaches were, hey, look, man, like you, you could have a chance. Like it's going to be hard for us to, you know, help you find a job if you're at a high school job. If you can get back in college football, then, you know, we'd be able to pull you, maybe we'll grab you and, and get you, you know, out of high school football and find you, help you find a big college job. So I was kind of at a crossroad. I was the defensive coordinator there. Like I wasn't going to be the head coach there anytime soon. I wasn't going to do anything to hurt my head coach. He was the best guy for that job, obviously. And so it was time to do something different, um, try to go be a high school head coach or, you know, come back to college ball. So I, I decided to come back to college ball. And then you decide to go back. As you just mentioned, you decide <laughs> to, to take the – uh, head coach, you were the athletics director there for uh, what turned out to be three seasons. What did you learn about being a head coach and being an administrator in those three years there? That was a really good time for me because if you go and you look at my playing resume and coaching resume, you see state championship player, you see playing college football in the national championship, you see us go to Greenwood, win two state championships, we says come back here and be really competitive. And to go back there, I mean, I really thought that I was God's gift to coaching. I mean, a lot of times you have that, you can create that perception of it's, you know, if I go somewhere, things are going to turn out well. Well, it didn't. You know, we went there and we struggled. Like, but it was probably the best job I've had because I learned that it wasn't about me and I learned that it wasn't all about football. Um, when you're not winning, you have, sometimes you have to find something else to talk about. And so we went in talking to guys about Christ and trying to do things the right way. And so all of a sudden when the football side of it wasn't there, you know, we were kind of still able to kind of hang on to that part of it. And then all of a sudden just kind of building the relationships with some of the players there is unique that I still talk to a lot of those guys. We remember, I remember putting them on the bus, taking them to watch the game at the Citadel, um, bringing a couple guys up here. Same thing that we are talking about earlier, you know, only thing they knew was big college football. You know, we had some guys that were pretty good players, but they weren't going to go to Carolina and Clemson. And, you know, because of that, like, they struggle in class. Like, it's just teaching guys, like, you know, what it means to fill out a FAFSA. And you don't have to play football to go to school. And just to kind of watch some of the guys that were on that team, I had one of them, um, Josh Boville, call one day. He's like, Coach, he said, I don't know if I would have ever went to school if you hadn't put us on that bus. And just to kind of see, like, it wasn't all about winning and it wasn't all about football. You know, we had a lot of wins there, even though we didn't, we never played for a state championship. Um, Dominique, I talked to him. Um, I went down to recruiting one day and there was two guys. I was at a stoplight, Slim and D. I was at a stoplight. They pull up beside me and they was like, Coach, Coach, Coach. And so just to pull over at the gas station and, and hang out with those guys and, and to be able to see what we did matter you know, outside of the wins and losses that we did give ourselves a chance to really impact some guys for life and not just because of just football. You mentioned the fact that you didn't necessarily have as many wins on the football field as you would have liked. Was that maybe the first time in your football career 
that maybe you stepped away from the thought of, hey, this is all about the final score when that buzzer sounds in the last second and started thinking that it was more because this was maybe the first time that everything was on your shoulders because you were the head coach. You weren't just an assistant, weren't just a player. You were now the man in charge. I showed showed it all the responsibility and things weren't going the way we wanted to. And then we had a chance whether we were going fight or fold. And so we, we chose to continue fighting in a way that was going to re- still give us the best chance to be successful. The things that we were doing were going to give us the best chance to be successful. It's weird. I actually looked through an album the other day. I didn't realize, like, how many guys we had hurt. <laughs> you know, it's like there's just sometimes there's just things that you can't control. And I just remember coming back here, I was a better football coach because we had to find different ways of doing it. You couldn't just do what you had always done. And so that is something that's been really helpful, like during this period of time, because you learn to sometimes you have to do a different system. You have to do things a different way, and you have to keep trying to find ways to be successful. And that period's probably been my biggest growth point as a coach i was trying to look at some of the the notable alums from greenwood high school and and i don't know if these guys overlapped your time uh sam montgomery josh norman dj swearinger did any of those guys cross over during your time so i was at emerald when those guys actually played now we had ricardo hurley they've had a ton of good play Mm -hmm. we had ricardo hurley his brother ricky um, we had Sam Williams, who played at MTSU. We've had um, Mark Logan play quarterback at Georgia Tech. So it's always kind of been a school that's really um, Sterling Sharp. Not Sterling Sharp, but um, I can't remember which one of them now. Yeah. But receiver played with Green Bay that started the Lambeau Lake, played at Greenwood High School. So they had all, Butler? No, it wasn't no. Butler. I, I, Robert Brooks. Okay. Robert yeah. Brooks. And so they had always kind of had really good players there. And so we had a stint of a lot of guys that wanted to play Division One football, but then all of a sudden all of those guys played on one team at Greenwood. <laughs> <laughs> and I took a little over Emerald over there, and we played them first game and lost two <laughs> quarterbacks. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about, guy, getting guys hurt. Um, um, but so, um, but I coached a lot of their brothers and family members. So then the opportunity opens back up here at Carson Newman, and, and you do decide to come back. You take over the defensive coordinator reigns here at Carson Newman. So my question before we hop back into Mossy Creek, the Eagles, the whole deal, when was the closest you were maybe in your life to leaving Carson Newman and never coming back? Probably when I went to Emerald. Because um, when I left here then, I was like, you know, I've done it, I've tried it, and that's enough. And even when Coach Sparks called me about coming back, I had no inclination of coming back. The thing that had happened was my father-in-law had had a four-wheeling accident and was paralyzed. And my wife's mom was here, and she was trying to work, and then she was trying to take care of him. And so this come up, and I told him no four times. And then Coach Deaton called and said, Coach Sparks, want me to call you one more time. And it's weird, though, the time before that when um, when Coach had called and I told him no, I hung up the phone, and it was weird. I was like, man, like something didn't feel right. And I just felt like it was just me telling Coach no that it didn't feel right. But it's like as soon as I hung up the phone, I, had, I got a visit in my office, and I was like, wow. I probably should have got out of here. <laughs> but, I mean, we we stayed in. I, I went to the weight room that day, and we started just looking at, you know, wins and losses are still important, and we weren't winning. And I went to the weight room that day, and we had three kids. And a lot of them were at basketball and soccer track. It's a small school. And so I was like, all right, well, we're still going to find a way to make it work. And um, 
I told my wife, I told him no, she was fine. <laughs> I knew she wanted to come home, and she was fine. But then uh, when Coach Deaton called back, and he was, um, he said, Coach Park said, you didn't feel good about it. He wanted me to ask you again. And so I talked to him, and I said, well, look, we'll come up there. We'll, you know, me and my wife will get in the car, and we'll come up, and we'll sit down, and we'll talk. And so I came and visited with, with Coach Sparks. And we actually brought Dee and Dominique up here with us when we came so they could they could visit the school. I was trying to get Coach to take them. And when I got back on campus, I mean, it, it just it kind of it hit me again. I mean, it felt like this is what we needed to do. I kind of got to see the situation with her mom a little bit better. And it's weird. I tell everybody, we come back here to take care of her. And we get here a couple months later, my wife gets pregnant, she retires, and she takes care of our kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I tell everybody, the Lord, the Lord was really all in on, on, on us getting back here, you know. Not only was the Lord all in, it felt like Coach Sparks had been all in pretty much from day <laughs> one because you have mentioned on several occasions that he doesn't take no for an answer. And, and, and I got to know him for a little while. It felt like if you said no, he might sit there and say, okay. But five, ten minutes later, he's going to ask you again. It becomes a challenge. <laughs> what, what did it mean, though, for him to have such belief in you and have his desire for you to be here and not just that he was trying to do you a favor, but that he really wanted you to be back here to be a coach? Well, I think we both had a trump card. I knew he was in a bind, too. <laughs> he started spring practice in a week. And... Um, <laughs> And so Coach Deaton had come back, and we run the 50 defense, and Coach Ramsey had just left. So I was the only one that really knew both of them, you know, like just to kind of help mesh everything together. I wasn't the only one. Coach Redding and Coach Whitley was here. But just – and then I think it was a time that we probably needed someone here familiar with who we were and what we did because we are unique. And so I think that was kind of where both of us had like a little bit of a trump guard. And so when I got here and we sat on the couch, we can, can kind of work it out and talk through why he wanted me here and then for us to kind of think about, you know, what those benefits were for us. And it just really made sense. So you're the defensive coordinator here uh, for about eight seasons. And then in 2016, they move you to running backs coach. Well, from an outsider's perspective, they look at it and probably say, oh, wow, that's, that's a step back. Like, that's not something that a uh, former consensus All-American, uh, an eight-year defensive coordinator who probably hasn't seen an offensive playbook since he was maybe in high school or even beyond that. <laughs> beyond that. <laughs> uh, that is now trying to coach running backs in a system that isn't a spread where all you got to do is block. Running back is as important a position as there is on this team and has been for a long time. How did you accept the conversation that happened when Coach Sparks came to you and said, hey, we need you to flip sides and come over here to running backs? It was tough. I mean, I'll just be honest, it was tough. Um, like I said in the interview, I, I felt like even before then, the Lord was really wrestling with me about, you know, something different was next, and I didn't know what that was. And like I said in the interview, like I already kind of conceded, like, yeah, I'm, I'm good on being a head coach. I've done that. Like, you know, I'm happy with my group of guys, and we're just kind of moving on. And then getting the defense, I'm like, okay, that's half of them. I still can have most of them over to the house, and we can still have a good time. But um, when you're really confronted with it, it's, it's different, you know. And um, I guess one of the things that was even tougher than that was kind of like the last game, how we lost it. You know, the last play of the, last play of the game at Valdosta State, and then all of a sudden you're coming in a couple of weeks later, and, you know, we're having these conversations. And, 
you know, it's like I told Coach, I'm like, and we had a ton of different conversations about what was happening, why it was happening. Um, coach was really struggling with cancer at that point in time. I was the associate head coach, so I was doing a lot of stuff. And but I enjoyed coaching defense. I mean, I was just being honest. And so, <laughs> and um, and I, I, I wouldn't concede to just not doing it. And so, um, it was weird. It was different. And so, like that conversation eventually got to the point to where like that was kind of what we were going to do. Um, because I, I remember there was a GA that we had, and you know, a lot of it kind of stemmed from this conversation is we were walking down the hall and, you know, I was doing a lot of different stuff. And I remember walking by and watching all of our defensive coaches were watching video and I was frustrated. And I made the comment, I was like, you know, our defensive coaches will watch more video today than I'll have the chance to watch as a defensive coordinator. Hmm. And he wound up talking to Coach Sparks about it. And so um, that's where Coach, we talked about, you know, the different things that I did, and that's where he challenged me with just kind of being able to do something different, like as far as a lot of the administrative stuff to kind of help the program. And that's where we talked about Coach Slade. He and Coach Slade had a relationship, and he felt like he could get Coach Slade to come and, and do the defense if I'd be willing to kind of move and do something different. So I still tell everybody I went kicking and stomping because I felt like I could do it all. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. Coach Slade and I had this conversation like a couple of weeks ago. He's like, man, the stuff that you were doing, it just didn't make sense. And long term, when you go back and look at it, like it was a difficult situation. But I enjoyed doing it. And I, you know, and that's what I said when I was at Emerald. You know, I, I didn't realize how hard I worked till I got to Carson Emmons. And when I moved from defense to offense, I didn't realize how hard I worked till I got to offense. <laughs> um, but it was it it, it was it, it was good. I mean, ultimately, the Lord kind of he he always wins. You know, so we just have to let him do it. And so. Um, once I put my guard down and kind of start moving forward, you could kind of start seeing it was weird because it went from like feeling like you're being demoted till you know two weeks later, coach had to go to the doctor's appointment. I was running full full um, staff meeting, and I called one of my buddies. I was like, I don't know, it's just kind of a weird situation, and um, that's why I told him I was like, well, there's a lot of stuff that happens right now as the head coach that I really owe to Coach Sparks allowing me and trusting me to be able to do things for him to where now when I see him, it's not the first time. You mentioned that that whole process of everything, and it feels like, and you even said it in your press conference back in January, where the one thing that you didn't have as a prior head coach was knowledge of the offensive side of the football. And maybe that <laughs> held you back a little bit in how you handled being a head coach. It feels like when a lot of these bumps in the road, forks in the road happen, you might take a couple days, be frustrated, maybe be upset, but as soon as you get past that, you're able to move forward. Obviously, football as a whole teaches people a lot about that, but what would your message be to other people that run into similar situations when they may look at it and say, well, I'm on this path, this is exactly what I want to do, this is what I love, and somebody comes to them and says, hey, now's the time for you to move in a different direction and it might not be the direction you want but how do you make the most out of it i think number one is you know don't beat your head against the wall you know things happen in life and we have to figure out how to move forward and if we're gonna move forward then we don't need to look back 
you know, if I chose to, in difficult situations, to keep looking in the rear mirror, then I'd eventually, I think, keep bumping into stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what we try to do is just be totally surrendered to Christ and understand that, you know, it's his good and perfect will and just let him lead. And so I think you're just kind of having that faith and trust has kind of been the biggest thing to where, I mean, I can have real conversation with Christ. You know, I say, I don't like this. You know, he can look at me and say, you don't have to like it, but this is what we're going to do. But I know ultimately, you know, his way is going to work. And it's gonna. And as long as I follow that, as long as I stay on that path, then Mike Klein is gonna be all right. You know, even if it led to death, Mike Klein is gonna be okay. You know, so um, I think that's been the biggest thing. I think the biggest thing we have to do is kind of forget ourselves and trust the Lord with our lives and, and keep moving forward. So a couple of years ago, the the position opens up, Turner takes it, as anybody would automatically assume. It felt like for years the job was sitting there. If Coach Sparks ever decided to to retire, which he ultimately ended up doing, that that Coach Turner would take that position. He did. Yes. Took it over for a few seasons. Then the job opens up last fall after the playoffs open. And what was your thought process at that point, knowing that this position was open and probably one of your dream jobs was open and an opportunity was there for you to take it? It was a weird situation. I I had a feeling Coach Turner might do something, but I didn't know for sure. So I was actually in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, um, at at the All-Star Game recruiting. And um, something happened. I don't remember what happened. But one of the GAs called, and he was like – he started talking about all this different stuff. I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) He's like, man, Turner came in. He told us he's done. And so I was like, do what? And I was like, well, it's still not official until I hear from Coach Turner. Like, you know. And so later on, Coach Turner calls me and says, hey, but I'm just letting you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang it up. You know, I think it's time. And so, like, I'm like, all right. I'm like, do I need to stay here? Do I need to go back to <laughs> Jefferson City? Do I need to talk to somebody? And so it really was, you know, and it, it all happened so fast. I mean, like, he told us there was a press conference, and then – I'm sitting out here with all these coaches, and we know how coaches are when a job comes up, and everybody's kind of start talking. So I finally look, and I found out that there was whatever time the press conference was. And by that time, I was already getting like – I had took three different jobs by that time. <laughs> it, none of them were Carson Newman. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I probably need to get out of here. I don't feel like having to answer all these questions about what's going on. And so I left, and I talked to Coach Turner that night. I'm like, well, do I need to get back? Like, what are we doing? I'm trying to figure out, like, if there's going to be, like, an interim deal. Like, where are we going recruiting? Like, and, and just trying to figure out, like, where <laughs> things were. And so I got back the next day and um, got to kind of talk with coaches and staff. And so we just started trying to – and that's why I was like, well, what did they tell you all? Like, because I wasn't here. And so we figured out what they told everyone and started trying to work a plan to figure out what we had going on. And so it was a lot of quiet time and quiet space just kind of in that interim term. So you go through the interview process. Uh, obviously a lot is going on through that because probably for the majority of uh, the coach's staff lifetime, this job has been held down by either Coach Sparks or Coach Turner, and they've been here for an eternity. So – very different scenarios are happening with how this job's going to open up. It's a very attractive job for a lot of coaches around the country. And you get the note that you, now you're taking over the job. The job is yours if you want it. What is that moment like for you 
when the offer is extended to you? We were excited. You know, my wife and I were excited. We 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 love being here. Um, I met my wife here, and so we love being here. We love being in this area. We love Carson them, and so it was it was it was an exciting time for us. I mean, we went from being really stressed out and trying to figure out like. I mean, calling the bank and like, hey, like my mortgage, like, <laughs> you know, if this doesn't work out, like, what's that going to look like? I mean, we were literally having to make some of those calls because we didn't know and you don't want to go in and be completely unprepared. I've been fortunate, like I've moved jobs, but I've never not had one. And so um, doing a lot of that planning and then just realizing that, you know, hey, we'll be able to kind of keep our life here and kind of keep things intact and, and, and not just have to have a job, but have a job that you love. And so that was really gratifying for us. So one of the biggest aspects about being a football coach here is, like you had mentioned, uh, the, the faith aspect of it. And, and that's very, very important here. And you mentioned that that was the, probably the deciding factor of why you came here in, in the first place. Um, after 20-plus years of being a coach here and being assistants everywhere else, was there a moment for you maybe after the press conference, before the press conference, where you were able to finally step back a little bit, not worry about how to fill some of these vacancies, how to get an offensive coordinator, how to recruit, do anything like that, and sit back and take a moment and think to yourself, I played here, and now I'm the head coach here, and this is something that I've worked for the last quarter century to become this coach. I took that moment for 30 seconds when we moved in Coach Parsons' office <laughs> because, I, you know, that was something that was a big deal. Um, I know what Coach did as far as working to get the building and put all that stuff together and then to kind of, you know, moving to that office was a, a really special thing because I know what this program meant to a lot of people. And so once we moved in, we took 30 seconds, but, like, it has really been moving really fast, you know, because we – we went straight into workouts with getting the kids here and trying to get them structured and get them set up to where we can get things done and then putting the coaching staff together, making those adjustments. And by the time we got everybody here, we were a week from practice, and then we practiced one time and everybody left. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, then we just do all the fighting to get back, and now everyone's here and we're still trying to figure out kind of what the next phase is. It's been, it's been hectic, um, but it's been a lot of fun. I noticed that you you still refer to it as Coach Sparks' office, <laughs> even though it has gone through Coach Turner's office and now Coach Mike Clowney's office. Yes. What kind of impact did Ken Sparks have on you as a person and now as you as a coach? I mean, I don't know where I would be if it if it wasn't for Coach. I tell everybody, you know, my high school career kind of saved my life, um, and then my experience here saved my soul. And just to be around the staff that he had here, the people that he put, put put in place and the type of program that he had here. I mean, any of us out there that's been through this program know that this place is different. And, you know, a lot of times different's a bad thing, but in this case, different is a really good thing. You mentioned different. Um, in today's society, um, there is a lot of unrest with a lot of different things going on. And there are not a lot of black football coaches. There's about 20 at the Division I level. There's about a couple dozen maybe at the D2 level. There aren't a ton. It's a very low percentage. What does being a black head football coach mean to you? 
it, it mean it means a lot. I mean, and when I went to Emerald, I got a lot of questions about you know the first one in that county. So I kind of dealt with some of those questions before. But I think you get to the point to where like you you realize that I am black and I'm fortunate to be in a position to, to be the head football coach here. But at the same time, I think the biggest thing you strive to do is just be a football coach. And you kind of take the color out of it and just start moving forward. And because that's what we expect from our kids. That's what we expect from our players. I think that's what we talk about a lot is if we can get this entire country, the entire world to function like a locker room, then we'd all be in a lot better place. To where when you go on the football t- on the football field, I think that's one of the best things about football. There's so many different cultures, looks, and environments. You know, when you bring our football team, we'll have guys here from several states. Um, I know we've got guys from Bahamas, like from different countries. And, and when you go on the field, you don't look at the guy beside you and figure out what color he is. You just want to know that he's going to take care of the guy in front of him and that we're going to function and get our jobs done together. And that's why you hear us talk about that theme in the spring of just being one. You know, that's our entire goal. And I think the thing that we miss, and a lot of times we say, you know, in situations like this, like, um, you know, I'll throw Christ out there as the example because I think he's the only example we have. And that's where some people will say, well, you know, you hide behind Christ. Well, I'm not hiding behind Christ. I'm going to stand with him in, in this entire situation. And I think the reason that, you know, we all matter is because of Christ. Without him, then none of us are anything. Then none of us matter. And then nothing happens for any of us. And so what happens is a lot of time we try to unite around our differences, and we can't do that. You know, we have to try to unite around the things that we have in common. And we want our guys to have Christ in common. And then we want to unite around Christ. And we feel like if we can do that, then we'll build a program and we'll build a group of people here that can go out and we can relate and we connect regardless of color, regardless of nationality, you know, we can just see people as people that are moving towards Christ or people that we need to help move towards Christ. I think you bring up a great point with the locker room conversation because when I played football, it was not about how many parents you have, how much money your parents make, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive. When you got onto that football field, it was, are you the best football player? Are you the guy that is going to help out the person next to you and I feel like a lot of the theme of our conversation here today has been a lot about how football can teach life lessons how have you used the platform that now you have and the conversations that have needed to 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 be had over the last few months to have those conversations with your current players to know that hey we're not playing football this fall we hope to play football in the spring that's the goal but right now, this is an opportunity, as you mentioned earlier, academically, but also to improve as people. So how have you tried to utilize that with your team now? It's weird because in one sense, I'll say we really haven't done anything as far as talking. We haven't talked about it a whole lot because I think that's one thing that we probably sometimes do too much is we get in a whole lot of conversation that doesn't really go anywhere. That's why I say, you know, after four hours of talking, my question is always, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And so um, the thing that we've tried to do is be an example. You know, what's it look like when you're disappointed because you're not going to have a season? I've been around football all my life, and I'm 45. A lot of these guys have been playing all their lives, and they're 20. Well, it's my first time not having it either. And if they see me blowing up, going crazy, and mad at everybody, then it probably gives them the right to do the same thing too. But what we're going to do is we're going to find a way to move forward, just like we talked about in all these other situations, you know, like – where can we move forward? What can we do to continue to grow, continue to develop? So we're going to keep finding a way to move forward. 
Well, I'm going to steal a line from you then right now because after about an hour of our conversation, my question is, what's next? What are you going to do from here over this next time period? Because there is so much uncertainty with when are you allowed to practice again? Because for the most part, and, and this happens with every coach, your season starts, your season ends, and then when your season ends, it's recruiting, it's getting ready for the next season. Well, for you, there isn't a schedule. You have no <laughs> idea when there is a game going to happen for you again in the future. So how are you going to use the, the next couple months? What are you going to do? So our mentality has been let's make a schedule so we can change it. <laughs> I mean, literally, every time we make a schedule, like before it comes off the printer, like it has been changed. And so, like, even for our guys, that's the thing that we've told them. We will probably hang your schedule just understanding it's probably going to change. And so the biggest thing for us is just figuring out, like, what are the things that are concrete? You know, as far as recruiting, you know, whether guys get a year back or not get a year back, whether we play in the spring, like, there's a whole lot of uncertainty there. So it's like, what do we need regardless? You know, if we get everybody back, what do we still need in recruiting? So you find the things that, to me, you, you have to have and that you have to get done, and you start working on those things first. And then you start looking at the possibilities and work backwards from there. So we're, we're finding the things that we have to get done regardless, and we're doing those. And then we're kind of setting a plan for when we know about other things, like that we can go attack those situations as they come. Outside of football, this is almost bonus time for you because you don't need to be in the office at 6 a.m. You don't have to have practice all day. You don't have to have film sessions. You get bonus time with your family. You get bonus time uh, being able to spend with – everybody that you love that you wouldn't have had if there was a season. So how are you trying to maximize that? You know, I think, and this is one thing we've talked to our team about, you know, it's weird how as people we fight so much to isolate ourselves from one another. You know, as we talked about the guy that scores the touchdown that wants to run in the back of the end zone by himself. And it's funny how what the Lord's done with this virus is he's isolated us. Like you and I sitting here, we're six feet apart, right. you know, and so – you know, the coolest thing ever now would be for me and you come sit close together at this table <laughs> and use one mic, you know. Yeah. And so, but, but, we're, but we're not there. And so I think the Lord's put us in a unique situation to where, like, now we can stop fighting to be separated from one another and start trying to figure out how we can get back together again. And so that's the thing that we've challenged our team is, like, even though we're separated, let's keep finding ways that we can be together, you know, through the distance, through the mask, you know, keep fighting for ways that, you know, we can be that one and connect. And we can do it, you know, as a people, as a team. You know, we, we can get this done. Well, in about 10 days or so, you should have been getting ready for a game, and there would have been a lot of pressure on you for that. But – Instead of that pressure, you had the pressure of being the very first guest here on Mossy Creek Conversations. <laughs> you flourished in that role. You did a great job. And when we have episode 100, 1,000, you're always going to be that trivia question of who the first person was. Thank you so much for your time. It was great insight. Thank you, Mike. I've enjoyed it. He's Mike Clowney, the Carson Newman football coach. I'm Michael Watrang. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Mossy Creek Conversations.